I'm going to read a, a, a list of names, and some of them you probably have heard of, and, and maybe there will be some that you haven't. But the point of this is, is to help us see what God can do in someone's life, no matter what stage they're in. And for that, we can be truly grateful that no matter how old, how young, male or female, God can use you and he will use you. Victor Hugo wrote a tragedy at 15 and received three prizes at the academy in the title of Master all before he was 20. John D. Medici was cardinal at age 15. Pascal wrote a great work at 16 and died at 37. Raphael painted his wonderful works as a young man and died at 37. Thomas Chatterton was already well known at 17 and was unequaled among British and English poets. Tennyson wrote his first volume at age 18. Joan of Arc did all of her work and was burned at the stake at 19. Ignatius Loyola at age 30, founded the Society of the Jesuits. And Cortez was 30 when he stood gazing at the golden treasures of Mexico. Billy Graham was 31 at the time of his now-famous Los Angeles crusade. Hamilton was 32 when he was Secretary of the Treasury. And when Maurice of Saxony died at age 32, all Europe owed him, or owned him to be the profoundest statesman of his day. Billy Sunday left home plate for the pulpit at age 33. Jefferson was also 33 when he drafted the Declaration of Independence. John Wesley began his real life's work at age 35. Moses was 80 when God called. 80. Although he cited many excuses, he never mentioned his old age. Socrates gave the world its wisest philosophy at the age of 70. And at an extreme old age, he learned to play a musical instrument. Plato was only a student at age 50. He did his best after reaching 60. Michelangelo was still composing poetry and designing structures in his 89th year. He painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel on his back on a scaffold at near 90. Cato at 80 began studying Greek. Petrarch, when between 70 and 80, started the study of Latin. Ledevuco, at age 115, wrote the memoirs of his own days. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. And I know I probably butchered a few of those names. But the stage of life you're in is just a stage. God uses anyone. He calls everyone. God uses you no matter what your handicap, no matter what it is, if you are willing to go, God will use you. And we can be grateful for that. And we need to be grateful for that. That we're never, we're never uh, out of date. We're never um, uh, not prepared enough. You see, God gives us what we need when we need it. And that we can be grateful of. I think sometimes we get to be a certain age and we think, well, I've done my time. And it's my belief that you haven't done your time until you take your very last breath on this earth. 
then you've done your time. God will use you always. I visited an older lady in the hospital when I was in Idaho, and she was in her last moments. And all she could tell me was, Dan, I got to minister to the nurse today. In her own dying moments, what she was concerned about was that the nurse knew who Jesus was. I want to be like that. I want my last conversations with people to to be uplifting and encouraging and Christ-like. But the question is, is will you allow Him to use you? Will you allow the Spirit to move through you, even in life's most difficult times? Let's be grateful of the God we serve, that it doesn't matter our handicap, it doesn't matter our flaws, He still uses us. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that as we get into your word, that you would speak loudly to us. That, Father, we wouldn't use any excuse that we may have to get in the way of what you've called us to do. I pray, God, that you will work a mighty work through us. We thank you, and we are so grateful of who you are. Speak to us. Teach us to be obedient to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to me to Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm really kicking myself. Sammy sent me that picture two weeks ago and said, hey, can you make sure this is in the 21st? I got the 21st and 28th mixed up. I thought Jake was going today. And so I apologize, but it's crazy to me how this picture was depicting Isaiah 6-4, and that's, we're going to be looking at this today. In Isaiah chapter 6, we look at, just before verse 8, we look at this idea that, that God is a God that is in control. He's so much in control that that. He knows who He can call. He knows that as He searches for us, He knows what He needs out of us, even before we accept this kind of call. All of us, every single one of us, we know we're not worthy. At least you should. If you have this heart of, of your, in yourself saying, I am worthy, I am good enough, then we've missed the point of the gospel because if we were good enough, if we were worthy, there'd be no reason for Jesus. It is Jesus who makes us righteous. It is Jesus who gives life. Not just breathing, but life to be lived here on earth, meaning in His grace and by the Spirit. Without Jesus, that doesn't happen. He knows what you can do because he's designed you to do it. The question is, is will you accept? And today we're looking at Isaiah's commission from the Lord in verse 8 through 13. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. 
And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but don't, do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull in, the ears heavy, in their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then, he said, then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places <clears throat> excuse me, are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. I like this passage because it's really deep, actually. There's, there's a lot here that we could go over that we, we don't have time to because I wanted to look at what God calls us to be and that in our gratefulness, the sermon title is simply, it's simply called Grateful. In our gratefulness of what God is doing, are we willing to be a part of it? Isaiah has really had an amazing experience already, right? God comes to him. God speaks to him. He witnesses God in all of his holiness. He witnesses God in all of his glory and splendor. And Isaiah comes to the realization that he is not worthy enough to even be in the presence of this God. As we see before verse 8. That even in his life, no matter what he's done, and, and he gets privileged enough to see the glory of God, it doesn't say he sees his face, but he sees the glory of God and his majesty, that even though he's privileged enough to be there, he still is not worthy to be in the presence of God. I think sometimes we need to have that attitude. I, I think sorry, all the time we need to have this attitude that we are not worthy to be before the Lord. When we come to church, we are not worthy to be before the Lord because He is God and we are not. But by His grace, He makes us righteous and invites us to stand before the throne. What an amazing God we serve. That although we are not worthy, He still counts us as His own. And that's because of Jesus, folks. That's because of Jesus. Isaiah experiences his guilt being taken away. His guilt is being taken away. If you look prior to verse 8, that what does God do with a coal? He touches it to his lips. What does that signify? It signifies purity, burning away the old. God is taking Isaiah in his, in his, in his mess and he's saying, I can purify you. You are not worthy, but I can make you usable. And we know he desires to do this because what's the question he asks? Whom shall 
I send. Isaiah is experiencing something amazing. It, it could be, this is a lot for him to take in. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, the day I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that was a lot to take in. The fact that a God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son that if I would just believe and place my hope and faith in him, I could have eternal life. That was overwhelming. When I finally came to the realization of what Jesus has done for me, let alone having this kind of experience like Isaiah has, And at this point, Isaiah could have been like, oh, thanks, Jesus, or thanks God, uh, you know, I, I'll talk to you later. I, I appreciate what you've just did for me. This was awesome. Let's do this again real soon. But the majesty of God demands more. The majesty and holiness of God demands more than just saying, I love you, God. Any of us can say that. I love God. I believe in God. Lots of people believe in God. What's the difference between God's children and those who believe in a God? There's a difference. And it's us and how we live. So Isaiah could have said, thanks for this really cool experience, but there's more. You see, surrendering to holiness means to give yourself to God to be used by Him. Not just to experience salvation or grace in Jesus, but to be used by Him for His glory. Our lives are no longer our own when we become Christians. And for that, we can be truly grateful. Because on our own, there's no hope. You see, we've got to understand that when we surrender to holiness, we are giving ourselves to Him. It's not just taking a gift and then calling it good. Thanks, God, we'll do this again sometime. I'll talk to you later. But this is a gift that is never-ending. This is eternal here in our passage, God has a task that needs to be done. He's got a job that needs to be done, and it's going to be a hefty job. And it's interesting, we can get into why is, why is Isaiah's uh, commission to ministry in chapter 6 and not in chapter 1. There's a, a lot of debate about that. But nonetheless, Isaiah is chosen by God to go do his work. And God is looking at him purifying him, preparing him. Have you not been Christian purified and prepared? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, and if you, if you have by your obedience submitted to baptism, you have now been buried with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, you are being purified daily. You are being sanctified, worked on, Daily for his use. Not to flail it in front of people and say, look what I am, look what I have, but to be used for his glory. And this is what Isaiah has just gone through. 
he realizes that he has just been purified for a reason. And this reason gives him purpose. The Lord says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response is, here I am, send me. He realized what God had just done was to prepare him for that question. And church, you've been asked that question if you're a Christian. Whom shall I send? Who will go? And have you answered, here I am, send me? You see, that's the gratefulness we live in. Many of us we use excuses of I don't talk well or I don't I don't you know I I I don't I don't like people very much and so I'm kind of a loner. I'm, I mean, I understand that. Maybe I, I'm not educated. I don't, I don't feel like I I really have things together enough. But we're talking about the God of all creation, church. The God who speaks and it happens. The God who raises the dead is the same God that has called you to follow him and to go on his behalf. Don't you think he's going to make sure that you're prepared? We read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Why are we purified? To serve the living God. And only Jesus does that. He's the only one that purifies the sin that we may serve the living God. So when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we are purified by His blood for this reason, to go. Whom shall I send? And our response should be, here I am, send me. We are all given a responsibility no matter where we are in life and what age we may be. And for that, we should be grateful. So when Jesus cleanses our lives, he expects us to do a couple things. First of all, he expects us to answer his call. When he purifies our life, he expects us. This means it's not an option, church. We are expected to answer his call. Isaiah hears these words, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The question that God asks is indicative of his expectations of his people, isn't it not? Otherwise, God would ask a totally different question. Like, Isaiah, who do you think I should, I should ask to, to do this? Or, hey, Isaiah, let's, let's form a committee, and, and this committee's going to decide who's going to go. No, God asks this question of whom shall I send? And he expects the answer, here I am, send me. Not just from Isaiah, but from all of us. That we are to understand that his purification demands a response to answer his call. 
God gives life, but he expects his purified children to respond with eagerness to do his will. And sometimes we're not so eager, are we? Sometimes we're like, well, I guess. I suppose I can do that. We get to serve the living God. And we have the attitude, I suppose, if nobody else will, I think we should be a little more excited, don't you? That the living God, the holy and perfect, majestic God, chooses to use people like us with all of our flaws. And he says, whom shall I send? And he's looking at us. How dare we ever say, send this guy over here. I've got better things to do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no better thing to do than serve Jesus. Period. The same question is asked of you. Church believers, God is asking you, whom shall I send? Who will go? And after hearing this question, Isaiah's response is only fitting. He has just been cleaned by the great I Am. The, the, the maker of heaven and earth has just purified his lips with this coal. He has witnessed the majesty of the King of Kings. He has come to the conclusion that he is completely unworthy to even be in the presence of this God, yet is restored by God's love and grace at this moment. So it is only fitting that he responds with, Here I am, send me. What other response could he have in that moment other than, I'll do it. You've just rescued me. You've just purified me. I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. Yet when people in the church today come to the Lord, we give a little clap and an amen and let them go. Good luck. It's a tough one out there. No discipleship. No guidance. And it's a wonder why people's flame extinguishes so fast. When they get out into the world and they realize they can't do this alone, but they feel alone. Church, we've got to be better than that. We've got to be understanding that this excitement that a new believer has needs to be celebrated by other believers who are excited. Are you excited for your faith? We should be. We should be ecstatic that God uses us, imperfect people. Every one of us yesterday did something wrong, I guarantee it. And yet we're here today in the presence of God, worshiping the King of Kings, and He's saying, I love you. If that doesn't make you excited, I don't know what will. You see, God is asking us to move beyond ourselves. And if you are here this morning and, great, and are grateful to call yourself a child of the one true king, it would be one fitting response to say, here I am, Lord, send me. What do you need me to do? This call is for those who have surrendered to his holiness and understand the bigger picture of life. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Hear that again. 
Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So if you're not a missionary, then you are an imposter. You're just wearing a title. Now, I don't mean missionary like we sell everything and we go to the the Philippines or whatever, but if you are not ministering to the people around you, if you're not ministering within your church family, if you're not ministering to the community that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ, then all you're doing is claiming this title and it's an imposture. I believe what Charles Spurgeon there can be supported many times over in Scripture. So what are we? God's call is not just a call to a few Christians. This isn't a few good men. If you wear the badge of believer of Jesus Christ, if you wear the badge of disciple or Christian, you are called. So answer His call. Every single one of us. Will you surrender to His call? Lastly, when I look at Isaiah 6, I'm reminded of when Jesus cleanses us. When He cleanses us, He expects us to preach His message no matter what. No matter what. No matter what's happening around you, His message must be taught. It must be preached. Isaiah answers this call from God because he understands that a surrendered life demands more than lip service. It's more than saying, yeah, I believe in you, God. It's, it's something that calls us deeper. However, does Isaiah really know what this message is at this point? I mean, in the implications that would come with the disobedience of this message? I think he's just accepting whatever it is. God, whatever you want to do, I'm going to do it. I don't care the implications of this. I don't even think it came to his mind that if, what if I say no, what will God do right now? Why? Because he was excited. The king of kings had purified him and called him. So there was no, uh, I don't know if I really have the time. God, there's nothing I can do but serve you. Name the place. What do you want me to say? If you look at our passage, God tells Isaiah what these people will do in response to the message. And it isn't pretty, is it? Isaiah, all right, you're going to go for me, but here's what's going to happen. Their hearts are going to be hardened and they're not going to listen. And you can imagine Isaiah being like, oh, wait a minute. You mean people aren't going to be coming forward at an altar call? That people just aren't going to accept what you have to say? But God, you're God, right? You see, the world doesn't understand this message, do they? And that's why we can preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach, and they still can't really understand. It's only when we have truth and love that people will see. Not only will we preach them the truth, but we love them the whole time. Then they will see. They still may reject. It's not up to us. Isaiah is cleansed, restored, and commissioned by God. And God reminds him that it will not be easy. 
If you became a Christian and in your mind you thought, man, this is going to be great. It's going to be easy. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's not at all. I, I tell people, if you want a boring, mundane life, go ahead and just live your life the way you do. But if you want excitement, if you want thrill, if you want, if you want uncertainty, if you want all that stuff that, that we try to avoid in life sometimes, then become a Christian. Because that's what comes along with it. For some reason, we have this rosy picture of, of Jesus just holding us on his lap or the, the lamb over his shoulders, and we say, oh, that's so peaceful. God is a warrior. Did you know that? After they crossed the Red Sea, they sang this song, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. If you look in Revelation, Jesus is described on this white horse with blood dripping from his robe. I think I've said this before, but in my Bible above that passage, I have, I have written, Jesus is not a sissy. When you sign up to follow Jesus, you sign up for an adventure. And it is good. Always good. No matter what negative thing happens in your life, He is always good. His plan is better than anything we could ever imagine. And when we submit to that, although it may not seem like it in the time, He's working things out for the good of those who love him, as we're reminded in Romans 8. He's working in us. The song we sang earlier, he is a way maker. And it's not easy. And Isaiah knew it wasn't going to be easy after God said, this is what the people are going to react like. You're going to tell them this stuff, and, and you're going to be like, all right, this is going to be great. And then they're going to like, I don't want to hear that. The message is to a rebellious Israel. That their rebellion is alienating them from God. However, even in the midst of this message of alienation, God still gives hope. I love that. Read through the minor prophets. Some of them are, are pretty, pretty brutal. But then you will always find in the book hope. That God still wants to restore he still wants to love his people. It's amazing to me. And I am grateful of the God we serve. The last half of our passage, verse 10. The last half of verse 10 says, Lest they see with their e eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God's plan it's for them to be able to turn and be healed. Church, you're never too far off from healing in the Lord. And all it takes is repentance to be healed in Him. This message, the gospel that we are commissioned to spread, will be met with hardened hearts and blind eyes. I promise you that. You will meet people who will oppose you. That is a guarantee. As in Isaiah's day and ours, this message is met with resistance from our enemy. Why? Because we have an enemy. 
that doesn't want God's church to prevail, that wants to divide people, that wants to destroy the church. This should not deter us from spreading his message of hope and grace. As we continue doing the hard things in life, we are strengthened and led by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us, it's God. We should never think that we're going to sustain ourselves. Pride comes before what? The fall. As we continue doing the hard things in life, we are strengthened and led by Him. God's encouragement to Isaiah and to us is found in the hope of, in this verse 10, of that there will be a chance to turn and be healed. God causes the growth. He restores the soul. We bring the message and we encourage each other in that message. We plant and we water. We plant and we water. We plant and we water. God causes growth. Do you trust him to grow the seeds? We are to be faithful in spreading this message no matter what. But the question remains, how long do we do this? Until he comes again or until you take your last breath. I love the description given to Isaiah when the cities are desolate. When there's nobody there, then you can be done. It doesn't end until he returns. It doesn't end until you take your very last breath on this earth. So we continue to preach this message of hope until there is complete restoration. The message we are to proclaim is only gratifying to a few, but we keep going. Jesus is clear. More people will reject the message than will accept it. That's a clear statement from the Gospels. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But narrow is the way that enters into eternal life, and few will enter through that. But we keep going anyway. The truth will help people see the enmity that is between God and us. And it will remind them of the judgment that is before them. However, it will plant a seed that can grow into an amazing life for Jesus. But we must first answer his call to be sent on his behalf. We have to decide today to live with grateful hearts. And part of living with a grateful heart is to answer the call that God has given. It's time to surrender to him, to start your surrender to his holiness and to, his, and to answer his call. That's what we have to do. And just as Isaiah stood before the majesty of God and was purified by the Lord Almighty from his uncleanliness, we too are in that place as believers, as we are purified daily. So may the atoned children of God answer the call of whom shall I send, who will go for us, with a, resound, with a resounding, here I am, send me. Will you answer that call? I challenge you to respond. Every one of us can do something. I'd like to end with Romans chapter 10. Verses 14 through 17, it says this. 
How then will they call on him in whom they have believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for your amazing grace, for choosing to use people like us, broken and imperfect. God, you've given us so much. I pray, Lord, that in our life, we too would say, here I am, send me. Use us, God. We thank you, Jesus, so much for saving us. In your name we pray. Amen.